Today, I want to talk about, I mentioned to someone last night, what I would be speaking on is, what do you give a king? What, if, if it was a birthday party today, and if I'd have had time and Walmart was open, I'd have ran by there, I would have got a cake and put a bunch of candles in. I said, okay, you're coming to a birthday party. We, we come, we, we, we show up, we know there's going to be some cakes, but there's the one thing that you're supposed to bring. And for me, it stinks because I am not good at gift giving. I just, I'd rather just give you a gift card. I like gift cards. It's my favorite gift. If you give me gift cards, I'm the happiest person in the world. I put that in my wallet somewhere in July, somewhere along the way I pull it out. It's like, oh yeah, I can eat for free today. That is a gift to me. That is the way, it's like if you try to jam it all in one day of Christmas, it kind of misses its meaning. You tear something open, it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay, socks, okay, yeah, this, this. And, and, and I go through it, but if I got the gift card, it's like, it's like Christmas all the time. Let's see what I got. Oh, look at there, somebody gave me something from Olive Garden. I'm going to eat in Olive Garden today. And so for me, that's, but you can't usually do that, right? My wife makes that very clear. You can't do that. In fact, I'm not even going to look that way right now. Because my wife is probably like, because she loves gifts, she, but she's good, very good at, at knowing what people like, listening to them, finding out what, what it is they enjoy, what, and then going and finding it, and then being proud, wrapping it, and thinking, okay, they will love this. They're going, she gets as excited about it as they will. I'm sitting there the whole time like, I hope this is beautiful. I hope they can use this. Hey, the receipt is with it. That's my favorite line. The receipt is with it. But what if you had one chance to come before a king? You have one chance to bring him a gift. What would you bring a king? Well, we know in Jesus' time... The normal story is, is that of the Magi, that of the three wise men, three kings. We understand their version. I'm going to share that real quick, but I want to go a little further. I want to carry you into an Old Testament story that shares with you a deeper understanding of going before a king. Everything in the Old Testament is to give us a picture, a better picture of what takes place in the New Testament. That's why I love the Old Testament really more in that way. Because if you really want to catch the full meaning of something, if you can find it in the Old Testament, it's going to be in story form. It's going to have a lot more body to it. We don't really know a lot about the Magi. We really don't know a lot about what they were thinking, what they were talking about. We don't know. We just know they brought gifts and they left. And we know the gifts that they brought. So go with me in your Bibles to Matthew 2, Matthew the second chapter, verses 9 through 11. So this story is so important in the New Testament that it's only in Matthew. It's only in, in one, we, we celebrate it, we put things all out in the yard, but you know that it's really only found in one little spot. In the book of Matthew, which is Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King. And so when he's trying to share this, he wants to include this story because he says he's not just a person, he is the Son of God. He is royalty. 
So I want to include the story of what happened. There were probably multiple stories like this, multiple things of people giving things to Jesus. But he says, I want to include this because it's very important to know how you would come to for a king. So here's what it says. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, I want to just kind of stop here for a second. People ask all the time, why couldn't Herod find Jesus? Because stars move from the east to, east to, that's the way stars move. Do you know Bethlehem is north of Jerusalem? When they left Jerusalem and followed the star, it didn't go east and west. It went a totally different direction. So any astrologer of that time would have been confused. If they're following a star, they would have moved from east to west, kept moving that direction. But from the moment they left, it started going north. And it led them to Bethlehem. Where they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, so this is a time after. This is not the actual time that Jesus was born. This was months later. This is after he's been there. She's recovering. They're still at Bethlehem, still at, and, and, and residing there, getting healed up, getting time, being ready to travel before she could get on. The baby could get on a donkey. There could be any traveling. They are, they are at this place. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts unto him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are the three that are described. So if they went to his birthday party, this is what they brought to symbolize who he was and what they wanted to say to him. If you are a musician and, and you have a child, you're probably going to buy them some drums. You're probably going to buy them a guitar. You're probably going to teach them music because music is what you do. If, if you sing, you're going you're gonna to get them a little karaoke mic and they're going to be walking around learning to sing. If you're a mechanic, you're going to probably buy them a tool set. If you're a carpenter, you're probably going to buy them a little plastic hammer set. I remember buying my boys and, and others because that's what I do is carpentry. So, so I remember the little boards you could buy for the boys and it had a hammer and you can nail the nail in one way. And when you did them all that way, you flipped it back over and you can nail. And I thought that is the craziest thing in the world, but it's teaching them how to hit with a hammer and you flip it over and you keep going back and forth. I don't know what age they finally figured out. This thing is going nowhere. I am not accomplishing anything. But you used to have the little screwdriver sets, and man, I remember buying those, you unscrew it and screw it back in. Well, why would you do that? Because in my life, this is what I wanted to prepare, this is what I wanted to say about them. I wanted them to have a peace. I wanted them to understand. So when the Magi show up, they bring three specific things. Number one is the gold. They bring gold. Now, gold represents kingly or ruler. It's, it's, it's practical. We know that gold is just practical. It's just money. But a king needs to have finances. He needs to have the ability to 
feed and, and to move and to travel. And Joseph and Mary will use this to get into Egypt one day. And they will use this to survive all the years away from his, his homeland and all the things that will take place. So there's a very important part of this. But when you look at it scripturally, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 and 41, if you'll go there with me, Lamentations 3, verses 40 and 41, there, it shows it in a little bit different way. It shows that this gold represented something else. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to the God of heaven. It is an understanding that to a king, this belongs to you. This is yours. This is, this is, is what is, is supposed to be in your hands. That's why when later in Revelations we read, gold will be what we walk on. It's amazing how God says, oh, one day we'll have streets of... Now, why would God do that? Because He wants you to realize stuff that y'all think is so valuable is not of any value to me. I can produce it, reproduce it, make it. I remember years ago watching Superman, the first movie, Superman, and he was wanting to give his girlfriend a ring. And, and I was like, okay, go buy a ring, but not Superman. Superman takes a piece of coal, he puts it in his hand, and he crushes it. And, of course, he can has superheated hands, and he, can, he just takes it and crushes it and crushes it and crushes it, and then... Pulls out a diamond. I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. That has to be cool to be able to just produce a diamond. And God is saying, gold is something we'll walk on. Gates, that pearls that you think are so, that's just gates. That's just doors where I'm coming from. We just use them for just entrances. So when he says gold, he says, listen, bring to me your best. Frankincense then carries another connotation. Frankincense is a, is a pure and unminced. It's used to burn and to create an, an aroma. It's meant to create a setting. Go with me to John 4 and 23. And I'm really pushing through these because this is not my message. So is that okay? I told you we're going to cover it, but we're just covering it. So I'm not going to settle down. Look at the person beside you and say, don't bother him. Don't give him any amen so he just doesn't get stuck. So let me get through this. John 4 and 23 says it this way. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. My, my wife is... is notorious for when we go into stores, she loves to walk by the counters where they have the perfume. And, 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 and now it's pretty neat because some of them, and I have no sense of smell. So it looks kind of odd to me, but I can understand. We went by one the other day and when we went by, they were under glass jars. The candles were all under glass jars. I thought that is so cool. So you didn't have to pick up the candle or open a package when you're not supposed to open the package. They just simply would raise the glass, and my wife would raise the glass, and, and, and the scent had done filled the inside, so she didn't have to, you know, pull it up to her nose. She could just raise the glass, and it was like, oh, because whatever area that's in, it's going to saturate the room. 
Whatever area you've confined it to. And God says, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for rooms that I can find that smell a certain way. I'm looking for, in fact, I seek such. I'm looking for such. People ask all the time, why is it that, that certain churches are, 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 quote, growing or are they're healthy or whatever you want to see and some are not? It's because of the smell. Do you understand that? It, it has nothing to do with age or has, not, has nothing to do with your music or how bad your music is when you're trying to do it. it. It has nothing to do with any of that. God doesn't care. God walked in the room today and he said, Tim, I love your singing. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, because you weren't doing it for any other reason but just to give me glory. You weren't doing it for, for, for some applause. You weren't doing it because it sounded so great. You didn't work on it for 10 hours so everybody would stand and give a clap. You did it for the mindset of, I just want to do it for God. I'm no good at it, but I want to do it. I, I, I'm not great at it, but I want to lift him up. And if, and if I can just lift him up, that's all that matters. And God says, I'm looking for that. I go from building to building, home to home, house to house, and I seek out those that are praising me. When they brought frankincense, they were recognizing that not only is he a king of wealth, but he's a king that puts off an aroma. He's a king that puts off a certain smell wherever he goes. The Bible says that wherever he went, he went doing good. He went doing good. And, and, and no matter where you were at, no matter who you were, even Pilate who was told he's a bad person, you need to kill him and the whole nine yards, by the time he spends a few minutes with Jesus, what does he say? I can't find anything wrong with him. I, I don't smell what y'all seemingly say he smells like. He don't smell nothing like that. He seems like he's no, no harm at all. I don't see why y'all want to kill him. I got one back here named Barabbas. Now we can pull him out in a few minutes. You'll smell him. That's the one that needs to be killed. And Pilate was confused because they would choose Barabbas over Jesus. He's like, why would you do this? He, he, he is, his smell is attractive. When you walk into a house, is it attractive when you walk into the room, is it attractive? Or is it like, oh, Lord. When you walk in, four people walk out. There may be something wrong with the smell. Just, you may be saying all the right things, but not in love. Paul would later say, and Paul could be as tough on people as anybody. Man, he could tell you, don't make me have to come back here and straighten stuff out. I mean, he could get on to them. But at the same time, he would write, he would say, but listen, if I can speak like angels, if I can do all this, but I don't have love, it's of no value. If people don't feel the love when I walk in the room, it doesn't mean anything. The third thing they brought was myrrh. This is odd. Because you would think, double up on the gold. Bring more incense. Myrrh was a kind of like a gummy Pasty. And it was used to rub on clothes. In fact, it was mainly used to rub on dead people's clothes. It was the main ingredient used to cover the smell of someone decomposing because of its stickiness, because of this. And so that's why in the song, you notice as we sung about the myrrh, it spoke of his sacrifice. His bleeding, his dying. 
The myrrh represents all that he will need through his suffering of his life. In fact, the only other time myrrh is used that we know of as far as, as far as where we're reading the Bible, it's used for multiple things throughout their history. But to us, they mixed myrrh with wine when they were trying to get him to drink something because it, it had a gummy, narcotic type of mindset. It was almost like a medicine. It would numb you. You, you, ever, you ever eat a peppermint patty? You know how they talk about the peppermint patties? You know, you show this one guy, and he's like, when I eat a peppermint patty, and he jumps up on the counter, and he's like, I feel like I'm skiing down. A... He says, I see myself, you know, just because I took one bite. Well, that's what myrrh would do. It would numb you. It, it was kind of like, like to us, spearmint or peppermint or something that would take the bad taste out, something that would just a little bit. And so they mixed it with wine for people that were dying. So it would just help you just a little bit take your mind off of what you were doing. The Bible says Jesus would not take it. He refused to drink what they'd given him. These three are important, and these are the three that they bring to a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. To represent the life that he's going to live. But I want to show you, if you were going to a birthday party, what would you bring? And I want to show it to you better in an Old Testament story. Because, yeah, we understand this. Jesus is dying. We need to bring myrrh. Yes, He's the light of the world. We need to bring frankincense. Yes, He's a king. We need to bring gold. But go with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis 43, verses 11 through 14. Genesis 43, verses 11 through 14. And this story to me is the one that I've just over this last week have just been infatuated with. People ask me many times, where do you, where do you get your thoughts? Where do you get... A lot of them just come from just, just thinking like that. What would I bring a king? Anybody else ever took something to a king? Everybody? And the more I researched it and the more I looked and I said, something in the Old Testament has to tell the story and it has to give us a picture. And there it was. And I've overlooked it a thousand times, never thought about it. Because the story is so enraptured with all the big stuff that many times we miss the little things. And here's what the Bible says. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in our vessels and carry down a present for the man a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release you, your brother, and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Let me catch you up what's going on. There's a famine. Now we know about this because Joseph is in Egypt. Joseph is the brother that the other 11 brothers or 10 brothers have sold him into slavery, told his dad that he died, 
tore his coat, dipped it in blood, and said some wild animal must have ate him. And Joseph was his father's favorite child, so it hurt his father to such a degree his father had never recovered. To this day, his father was still hurting, bereaved. And the only thing his father had that could help him any was he had a younger brother, Joseph did, named Benjamin. They both came from his favorite wife. He ended up, I ain't got time to tell that story, but he worked 14 years for two wives. He got the wrong one the first time. Had to work seven more years. That's love, folks. Some of y'all won't get a job for your wife. Somebody over there worked 14 years just to get to marry him. And so all of a sudden, all he's got left of that whole life of his wife, Joseph's gone. I've got Benjamin. It, I, I can't, if I lose Benjamin, I'll die. In fact, if I had time, I'd go to chapter 42 and describe how hurting he was and how he would never have let go of Benjamin. He just determined, I, I'm not letting go of Benjamin. So what happens is, is that they, a famine is taking place. Joseph tells Pharaoh, if you'll store up for seven good years, we'll have seven years to sell and to really make a good profit. Because people have to sell what they got. People, people have to sell their land to you. People have to do everything to get you to give them enough food to live. Because what good is land if they're going to die? So he had a, he had, Pharaoh was like, I like the way you think. I'm putting you in charge. And man, this thing was working well. Joseph was sitting back, had storehouses of feed. There was nothing, no drought. A drought had taken place. The, the world was drying up. And man, guess the only place in the world who had food? Egypt. So everybody was hearing about Egypt and going to Egypt and finding, and, and there's Joseph sitting on the throne, second in command. He is a king, or as I love how Israel says, the man. Hey, when you go talk to the man, tell the man. And I love that how he just keeps saying that because he has no idea it's his boy. He just knows it's the man. And so at first, Israel hears about it and he sends his ten sons. He doesn't send Benjamin. No. He sends the ten sons and he says, here, take money and go buy some food. Go buy some grain. So they do. The only problem is, is that when they get there, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph has changed a lot. They think he's dead anyway. They're not looking for him. And Joseph recognizes them. Here comes these ten rascals that faked his murder sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Oh. But the Bible says something really special. That when he saw his brothers bowing before him in homage and stuff, he remembered the dream that God had given him before. See, I really believe Joseph, if he had not remembered that dream, would have, would have done some really hurtful things. I know people's like, oh, Joseph. No, no. The Bible says that he remembered. I think he's sitting there like, you look at him. What's done? Walked up in the house, wanting some food. And he says, No, I remember God said this had to happen. And you know what? If I hadn't have gone through all I went through, this day would never have happened. And it dawned on him that God had to use all of those steps to get him to where he was. And it humbled him. 
But he still was wanting to know what was going on, so he asked them very roughly, the Bible says, roughly he asked them, well, where you come from? You look like spies. And they're like, no, we're not spies. Really, the man, we're not spies. We, we ain't spying nothing. We're a poor family. Uh, our dad has 12 kids. Well, he's got 11. One of them got killed, and, you know, we don't want to talk about that. But one of, one of them is, is, is we got 11 of us, and 10 of us are here. The youngest one is back home with our dad. Oh, you got a dad? Is he still alive? Yes, yes, our father's still alive. And, and you got a little brother? Yes, I got a little brother. And everything, he said, I don't believe you. I think you're spies. Joseph said, I, I and he, and he does this to try to trick them. And they said, we're not spies. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep one of y'all. And he takes Simeon and he binds him and puts him in prison. He says, y'all won't feed? Fine. Pay for your feed. And if I ever see you again, I better see the younger brother or otherwise it won't go good for you. And they're like, man, we came here with 10. We're leaving with nine. We didn't do anything wrong. Now, they're kind of a mixed bunch, too, because I want to explain this. this. This is a part of the story that really kind of, I, I would not want to have been part of that family. I just hate to brag. I just, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I would not want to have been part of that family. Because here's what happens. The nine take the feedback. As they're taking the feedback, they didn't know Joseph had put their money back in their bags. So when they get halfway home, one of them opens their bags and realizes, I got the feed and the money. Man, who put this money back in my bag? So they're like, oh, we're in trouble. Something's not right. They get all the way back home. Dad asks, well, tell me what happened. We got the food? Good. But Simeon didn't make it back. Simeon's in jail, and they said that he can't get out until we bring Benjamin. And, and when we bring Benjamin, we can get Simeon back out. And this is the part of the story that's amazing to me because the Bible doesn't say that Israel says, well, let's go back and get Simeon. No, Israel says, mm, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, literally, this is what happens. He's just like, mm, that's tough. That's, that's rough. Well, at least we all all right. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be part of that family. The Bible says it wasn't until they ate all of what they had, when they ate all the food up, that Israel said, we need more grain. We need more food. We're going to starve to death. And, and, and Judah says, I done told you, we can't go back. Remember Simeon's over there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, remember, I hadn't seen him around. I, I forget sometimes where that boy is. He's in jail. This is true. It's a true story. And the, and the man says, we had better not come back unless we got Benjamin. And they get down pretty skinny. Israel gets to where it's like, oh, we're going to all die. Finally, he calls in Judah and he says, fine. You can take Benjamin. But just know if something happens to Benjamin, I'll die. He's all I got. But when you go see the man, don't go empty-handed. And just like the wise men who brought three things to see the man, he said, I want you to bring three things when you go see him. Number one, he says, I want you to take the fruits and I want you to take the stuff that we've got. I want you to take, and, and to us, we think that's a simple thing. We, to us, we think 
oh, we just came to church today. It's Christmas, and I know we got ready, and people, some people are like, why are you going to church today? Lord, it's Christmas. You need to be... It's a simple thing. What does it matter? But see, to a king who has everything, you're not trying to buy his love. Israel was not going to put honey, and, and, and Joseph's like, oh, honey, oh, I never tasted honey. No. He wasn't going to put some almonds in there and say, but what it symbolizes is it's the understanding that he loves the simple things. When you go before a king, do not try to buy him. Do not try to earn. Do not try to puff yourself up like you're going to earn something or deserve something. But when you come to him, come to him in truth. Come to him in humbleness. Come to him in a way that represents that I am coming with the best that I have. This is the best that I can give you. This is the best. That, what gifts do I have? What things do I have? I'm going to give you the best of me. That's why when it comes to giving our tithes or giving our offers, it's, it's, people get it all messed up. It's not the amount that you give. It's the understanding that when I get paid, I set that aside first. Why? Because that's my best. I'm giving him my best. If I'm going to go before a king, I want to give him my best. I'm, I'm not, if I had a cookie this morning, I'd say, what we do is we're like, oh, well, I got to pay this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got, and then when we finally get to church, it's like, well, I got a little bit of crumbs right here. Let's put that in the offering plate and God, that's all I got left. And it's not always money. Sometimes it's your talent. Like this morning, I'm not, my voice after all these years of preaching, I can't sing anymore. But it doesn't matter. Adriana, before church, it's what she was talking about, songs that we've sung and things. And Adriana just about cried. She said, you know, the, you know what I remember the most? I remember your mom and dad. The last time they came up on the stage, she said, your dad couldn't even talk. Your dad couldn't hardly talk. But he got on the stage, and as soon as he started singing, he could sing. And I thought, he was always going to give him his best. You're not going to impress him. I, I'm, I'm not going to sing like some American idol. But I think sometimes in God's ears, I think I sound a lot better. I think sometimes God says, just, just shut all that other stuff. Listen to that. That's his best. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all you have. When you give that to God, that means more to him than anything. If, if you've got someone to love on today, then love them with the best. I get people talk all the time. They'll say, I can't believe when your kids turned 16, you, you gave them a car. Now, not a brand new one. Don't be going around spreading bad rumors. <laughs> but it was a nice car. It was a car that's supposed to get them through the rest of high school and through college. It was, it was a car that wasn't supposed to be broke down every other weekend because that, that's not the, my best. And it wasn't until many years later that my kids ever come back to me and say, Dad, thanks. Because when they got it at 16, they were like, ooh, my car, ooh. And, 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 and I, they wouldn't even hardly let me drive it. Hey, I need to borrow your car. If to, uh, my truck's messed up right now. You can't borrow my car. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> and what you do is you hope in time that one day they wake up and they realize, wow, 
they were really good to me. Because you gave them your best. That's why I have to be careful when I buy stuff and do things because Elise controls a lot of that. I, I, and that's not by, by accident, that's by purpose. Because I'll give away everything I got. I went into a place a while back and, and just some God just touched me and I was going through the counter and through the line and God said, you bless them. And I just, okay. And I just reached in my pocket and the money I had in my pocket, I said, here. And they, they, were, they were like, what are you doing? I said, you know, Merry Christmas. But God's never ceased to continually give to me. Not because I'm just trying to give it away. It's, it's because whenever I'm pliable to Tim, what can you do? Well, I can nail boards together. Give me your best. Now, a lot of my stuff don't have OSHA. Go test it because I'm telling you. Kenneth, being very clear, do not, OSHA, OSHA does not need to be around. But I do my best. God's always blessed me. Israel says, I know it ain't going to mean much to him, but here's some honey. Here's some. But see, what he didn't realize was that that was the food Joseph grew up on. Can you imagine when Joseph saw, oh, that's that honey. Oh, what's his name makes? That's, that's oh, I remember eating those almonds and dipping them in that honey back when I was a kid. See, he thought it was nothing. It was just his best. And believe me, in a famine, when you start giving away your food in a famine, that's not wise. These people are going to get food, trying not to starve. And what's the first thing he sends away? Well, give them our almonds and give them our honey and give them our food. What? We're going to starve and you're giving away our food. But we want better. And you don't go before a king without a present in your hand. The second thing he said, take the money that you're supposed to take, but double it. One of the craziest things I, I hear people say is, you know, tithing's not in the New Testament. And that's one of the greatest conversations I can get in. I'm like, you know, you're right. So everybody can look at each other and say, tithing's not in the New Testament. Go ahead and look at the person beside you. Go ahead and help them out. But now look at them and tell them, in the New Testament, you give everything. Yeah, I, I, I hate to break it to you. If you want to live by New Testament law, in the Old Testament, it was 10%. That was the least that you could give. And somebody would say, well, that wasn't all. That was the law. No, Abraham gave before there was a law 10%. It wasn't a law. It was done by heart. But in the New Testament, Peter looks at Jesus and says, we left all. And Jesus says, good. Did a good job. And in heaven one day, you're going to get it all back. And it's going to be good. That's the New Testament version. It's like... You give it all. I remember Charles Spurgeon many years ago that he was, he was hired because he was a very popular preacher by that time. And Charles Spurgeon was hired by this church to come in. They, they had a building program and they, they were trying to pay off a certain amount. And they were, the, the guy, the main elder of the church wrote to him and said, said, Mr. Spurgeon, we're so thankful you're going to be coming. And, and, and hey, I've got three different houses. And this was a wealthy person in their, in their church. He said, I've got three houses, one on the waterfront, one, one here in the mountains. Which one would you like to stay in? And Charles Spurgeon wrote him back and said, I won't be coming. 
sell one of your houses to pay your bill. You imagine when that elder had to read that to the rest of the church? Charles said he ain't coming. He told me to sell one of my houses to pay the bill. God says, listen, Joseph says, if you're going to come before me, what are you bringing? And Israel said, I want you to take double the money that you took the first time. I want you to take double. I want you to take more than enough. I want you to impress him. I don't want you to pay him just what you owe him. I want you to give double. Why would he do that? You're not buying anything. Joseph was the wealthiest guy in the world at this moment. So why would you do it? It's to let him know that your honor means more than what I possess in finances. That's why the wise men brought gold. Gold doesn't mean much to you, but we bring it in honor. And so when we come to God, the second area in which we come is not only to bring our best, but to be practical in bringing what God's asked us to bring. Bring it to the storehouse. Bring it to the church. Why? Because the work that I'm doing in the church is the most important work. And if you're not taking care of that work, then what are you doing for? If I gave you a piece of paper and I said, tell me why you go to work every single day. What would you write on it? Why do you go to work every... I mean, I know we're to get paid. Okay. Why do you go to work every... Well, so I can live at this level. So I can drive at this level. So I can... But if you knew you were fixing to have to see a king, then what would it matter? If you were starving and needing, what would it matter? And so the famine shows a position of people saying, what I have isn't enough. And I'm willing to give what I've got to receive what I don't have. If I could go before the king, when I pray, when I, what I'm doing is, is I'm saying, what I have won't suffice. In fact, in the New Testament, it's given in a beautiful story. There's a widow who has nothing. Jesus is sitting there watching people drop bags of money in the... And the widow comes up and she drops two small mites. And Jesus stops and says, wow. See, did y'all see her? She gave more than everybody. And they're like, no, she didn't. That's the guy I saw just a few minutes ago. He had two bags. He dropped them in. I saw him. He says, no, she gave more than anybody because she gave out of her need. Why, Brother Lot, do you serve the Lord? Out of my need. Why do you give to the Lord? Out of my need. See, you see me now and you think, you don't have no needs. You, you. But it didn't start now. It started back when I had needs. Now I'm in that, in that harvest over catching your planting. And I, I, know, I know I'm in that season now. And it's like, wow, God's good to me. And God's good to my church. And God, but, but I remember on Bank Street. And I remember when it was like, oh, Lord. I'm paying myself to preach. What are we doing? And God's like, Give out of your need. 
was mowing people's grass when I didn't have hardly money to buy the gas and the lawnmower. Why are you? Because I need a king to do something. Why are you loving on people when, when you don't have enough to love? Because I, I need the king to do something. And Israel has enough sense to understand you take double the money. You take the almonds and you take the spices and you take everything we got and you, you, you give it to him and you let him know that we need your help. The third thing he sent was the most precious thing he had. And it's the most precious thing you have. And I don't know what it is, but you do. For Israel, for it was Benjamin. And I explain why, because that woman was the love of his life. He worked 14 years to marry her. She gave birth later in life. She, she had a very hard time having children. And she finally had Joseph, and they thought, okay, that's probably, the, that's probably all. She, she had a lot of trouble. But she wanted to have more children. She, she wanted to be, because to her and her culture, that was important. So she got pregnant again. This time, she's at the point of death trying to have this child. When she has the child, she gives him a name, which means bitterness and sorrow. But Israel walks in the room and says, no, his name will be Benjamin. He will be my right hand. And she died. Every one of us in our life have something that if we have to bring that to the God, then that's all we got. Because most of the time we hold something back. It's like, well, if it don't work, I'll, I ain't going crazy. I'm not. But there's that moment in life when you know to impress the king. To come to his party and bring him a gift, it has to be something not to impress him in value, not to impress him in style, but it's what it cost us. Some of the greatest gifts I've ever got in my life were not big things. Because if, if a person who has a million dollars takes me to lunch, it's of no value really. But if somebody I know that doesn't even hardly have a job and they're like, Pastor, can I spend time with you because I'm in between jobs? And I'm like, yeah. And we go down to Penn's and it costs us 30 bucks to eat. And we walk up to the front and I'm like, look, I got, no, no, I'm paying for this. I invited you. And I'm like, dude, you don't even have a job right now. That's okay. God will take care of me. How hard do you think I come back to this church and I pray for that person? How often do you think they cross my mind when I'm in the morning praying? I'm like, no, God, that one's not playing. That one's serious. That one smells right. That one's doing all. You can trust that one. Any of y'all ever run across people like that? It just touches you, doesn't it? And a king is no different. Israel says 
to Judah, you take Benjamin. He's all I got. And if that's what the man says he needs, then you give it to him. But just know if he fails, just know if something goes wrong, it'll kill me. And when somebody is willing to give that to God, that's where the miracle takes place. That's where God explodes in your life and you see doors open that you couldn't open yourself. And you see things happen that you couldn't do in your own power. Every one of you in this room has that thing. Maybe somebody hurts you and you're like, I'll never trust people again. Then as long as you stay there holding it, you'll starve to death. I've made too many mistakes, brother. Like God will never love me. I'll, I'll never feel. As long as you keep holding those past hurts. If you're in this room today, you have the opportunity to meet a king. And today's his birthday. And what gift will you bring him? What gift will you bring a king? Someone who already has everything. If you want to do it correctly, give him your best. If you want to do it correctly, give what's owed and double it. And let him know that his favor is worth more than anything this world possesses. And then thirdly, look deep inside and find that thing that hurts. That thing that the enemy says, you can't get past this. And say, God, I'll give that to you too. When you do that, you'll find the real true meaning of Christmas. You'll find the joy. Not from something that comes under a tree, but something that comes from your heart. I love the story of the Grinch. That movie has lasted as a classic for years. And it's lasted because of one thing, it's meaning. You know what, you know what changed the Grinch? And I know we try to make it like Cindy Lou Who. No, wasn't Cindy Lou Who. Go back to the original. When he thought he had, because of the hurt in him that said, People don't really love. People don't really care. People just, just use Christmas as buying and selling and giving. It's what it's all about. Because he's hurt. When he had stolen everything, and he leans over to listen, what he heard was the who's who had all gathered and called hands. And we're singing a joyful song when they didn't have nothing but a little star on a tree. When they didn't have anything, but they had everything. And I know we try to twist that story and cartoons have made it look different and stuff, but in the original, that's what it was. He realized at that moment he could not steal Christmas. And the Bible says his heart grew, how many sizes? 
three sizes that day. What was that? That was God coming in. That was him realizing what I really give a king is me. Will you stand? For every one of us in this room today, this is a special day. Because today we're celebrating the King of Kings' birthday. We know the Magi brought frankincense and gold and myrrh. And we know in the Old Testament that picture of that, them coming before, they brought the best that they had. They doubled what they thought they owed. And they bought the most precious thing they possessed. And today it's no different. You walk out of here today, you have to decide, what will I give a king? This next year, what will I give the king? What will be my decision as far as my life? Will I just hold on to this one thing and starve to death? Just going to hold on to it. It's just, it's just, no. It's not until we go and give it to Him that we realize the true meaning of what this day is. It's the greatest day in the world. Because at some time in my life, I had to come to grips with those three things. Tim, what will you give him? What will you give someone who has everything? I will give him my best. I'll give him my best. Whatever that sounds like, whatever that looks like. We were working on the song this morning. That's what they were saying. And I was looking, I said, guys, I know this thing does not. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. And they sounded great. And I was just like, man. But all that kept going through my mind was, we're going to have fun just celebrating the king. When you give Him your best, don't worry about what it looks like. Don't worry about what others say. Just do your best. And when you give all you got, when you give what you owe, don't worry about whether it's two pennies or a million dollars. Don't care. He's the one recognizing it. And when you come across that thing, it's like, God, I can't share this with you, with nobody. Nobody's going. That's the real thing God wants you to bring. God, you don't want to know my junk. He says, I already know your junk. You don't want to get mixed up with me. I've been mixed up with you from the moment I gave you breath. The question is, will you finally let me be who I'm supposed to be in your life? Will you let me be the king? Will you let me reign? If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I get it. Like the Grinch sticking his head over listening to the singing going on. It's like, that's what it's about. I get it. So we bow our heads and I pray you out of here. 
Maybe somebody in this room needs to say, God, I've been missing it, but I don't want to miss it anymore. This next year, I want to know what it is to let go of that thing in your hands, to trust you with it. I want to know what it's like to not worry about all the things the world worries about and just trust that if I put it in your hands, you'll make a way. I want to know what it's like to not live just for me, just for what I can get and what I can wear and what what somebody's going to give me, but give away my best. I want to know what that looks like. Father, this year I'm going to give you that. I'm flawed. I'm I'm imperfect. I'm, but I'm going to give you my best, Father, for that person right now. It's in this room under the sound of my voice. Will you just talk to them? Will you use the frail words I've used today to just let them know how much you love them? You're not trying to embarrass them or hurt them, but you've used the moments to drag out of them, this moment right now, to drag out of them honesty. To see if they will be honest with themselves and to cry out, I need a king. I need a savior. I need someone I can pour my life into so that he can pour his life into me. For whoever that person is right now, God, that this year would be the greatest year of their life. That this year more doors will open, more family will be brought back together, more healing will take place, more miracles than they ever thought possible. I speak that blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can I tell you how that story ends? Just thought you might want to know how God works. They do come back with Benjamin. Joseph plays around with him a little bit more. But at the end, Joseph breaks down and starts crying. Joseph says, I can't take it no more. And he finally tells them who he is. He hugs their necks. He says, where's my dad? Your dad's out in the desert starving to death. He said, you bring my dad here. Pharaoh said, you bring him here and you put him in the best land. You bring all your family and we're going to take care of them. They never going to have to worry about food anymore. Can I tell you what God wants to do in your life? He wants your end to be a whole lot better than your beginning. God never starts a plan that He doesn't have a better ending in mind when He starts. You just have to trust Him with your best, what you count precious, and the thing that hurts. When you give it to Him, just watch what He does. Hey, go give the devil this fits this day. <laughs>